Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to something in season three of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, I don't think I, I'm, we're not going to put an episode number on this one because it it's a break from what we have been doing. And Ben's going to tell you about that. We'll, we'll call this a, a really long hot take that will be released as a regular episode. But uh, my name is Josh Laborious. I'm a pastor in Eastvale, California, and uh, the other voice with me this morning is the esteemed Reverend Benjamin Olschlager, first of his name. How are we doing today, Ben? We're doing all right. Uh, it's been a busy week in the Olschlager household and uh, getting ready to go out of town for a little bit here. Um, but because of some of the logistical things that have come up in my life, we are taking a couple weeks here to step away from our Corinthian series and do kind of like a mini series within the season on something that's been, uh, I don't want to say like, it's just something that's flared up in the last couple of weeks as a quote unquote issue. Um, for those of you who do not follow the idiosyncrasies of, of church politics and rage monsters on social media so uh, all of you hopefully yeah god bless you if you uh know what we're talking about or know why we're talking about what we're talking about today um or for the next couple of weeks uh, excuse me um about a week and a half two weeks ago uh concordia publishing house released a annotated version of the large catechism with uh, a number of essays written to help provide application on some of Luther's teaching and how we can bring it into the modern day. Um, much of that work was uh, met with uh, lots of applause and uh, is already being kind of quoted and, and used in, in various applications. Um, but a handful of essays within the book received some pretty sharp pushback. Um, and it got to the point where um, like larger on the story and um, President Harrison even took the, the step to ask CPH pause public public publication of the uh the catechism so that they could examine the the complaints and make sure that they were uh not something that had been missed in the, in the review process that documents that our publishing house concordia publishing house puts out um through its regular channels so uh they did they took about 48 hours looked at some of the complaints went we don't think there's anything to this and re-released it for publication uh at which point josh and i um immediately bought it because 
uh, we're suckers for uh, controversy and we wanted to know what was going on. Um, I hope that's not an unfair portrayal of what happened. <laughs> I don't um, doesn't paint us in a great light, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> I'm trying to be honest here. Um, but in, in, in broader reality, we wanted to know, you know, what people were upset about because the, the out, the loud and uh, immediate response that happened in social media and, and in other places um, is kind of a microcosm of what some people in our pews experience as they um, think about and study theology. Um, so it's worth us, you know, taking a look at some of the controversy and, and trying to, to figure out, you know, what to make of it. Um, so we bought the, the catechism, we read the, the articles in question. Um, there were like three or four that really kept getting cited um, around social justice and um, social justice and sexuality and a couple of other things. Um, but this week and next week, we're going to take a look at two, the two issues that were probably the most cited among all of the complaints. Um, one had to do with gender and sexuality and specifically, uh, the complaint was made that the LCMS as a whole, by releasing this document was taking way too soft a stance on issues of gender and sexuality. Um, and two, the, the episode that we're going to release a week from now, as you're listening to this, um, a lot of the, there were a lot of complaints around the issue of self-defense. What does the Bible say about defense and self-defense? And, uh, you know, as Christians, what should we be thinking about it? Josh and I have already covered these topics on the podcast, at least. Well, some... have we have we covered self defense? Have we done that many episodes that I'm forgetting them? I think we did one on self defense. We may not have. Josh is going to fact check me now because I'm, I'm I was just ninety percent certain that we have done something either on self defense or just war or use of force or something. Um. I, I think we've done something tangential to it. But or I it might be one of those topics that has like come up in our in our like brainstorming a dozen times, but we've never followed through on it. Fair. Um, um we talked about war. That was probably the one I'm thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be the closest. Okay. So I guess we haven't gone into to a ton of depth on, on self-defense and the Christian position on self-defense. Um, <laughs> but we're, what we're going to do today uh, and what we're going to do next week, um, and if you watch these episodes on YouTube, you'll notice that we don't change between episodes. Uh, and that's because we're recording these on the same day and releasing them over two weeks. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to not necessarily look at the controversies themselves, 
especially with the sexuality one, because we've already spent an episode talking about a lot of this stuff. But we want to kind of peel back the layers of, of some of the cultural forces that cause us to react the way that we do around some of these issues. Um, and hopefully give you as our listener here a, uh, a framework or an opportunity to reflect um, on where your suppositions might be coming from. That's a, an ACT word or SAT word, depending on what part of the country you come from. That just means like, what is your background telling you about a certain subject? Um, and if, if we're able to kind of understand where we're coming from and acknowledge that there are other contexts in the world we live in, uh, that might help us in some of these discussions to be more Christian, to be more honest, to be more caring um, as we talk with brothers and sisters in Christ about some really delicate and uh, controversial issues. So, Josh, did I miss anything? No, uh, the only things I, I just want to throw out there for any of our listeners who are less in tune with the Lutheran world, or just like a couple definitions, Concordia Publishing House is like the official uh, publishing company for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Um, they put out like, they put out all of our stuff. And part of that, part of the, the thing with that is everything that they publish undergoes something called doctrinal review which means they get a bunch of really smart people who are really familiar with their theology to double check, to triple check the book, to make sure that from beginning to end, it is consistent with what we believe. So when Ben talks about uh, the review that it went through, it wasn't just checking for comma splices and periods in the right places, right? They, like, they went over this already with a fine tooth comb and in fact, our synodical president, who is very, tend, like a lot of the people who are getting upset on the internet tend to align with our synodical president. He gave it his stamp of approval prior to publication. Like he wrote a glowing review of the text. So there's all that. Um, yeah, and <laughs> it's not like, even within the, that review process, like the fine tooth comb is a good analogy because I've spoken to a few people who've written for CPH or Concordia Publishing House. Uh, we're going to refer to it as CPH from here on out because we don't want to have to say Concordia Publishing House for the rest of the episode. These are um, But uh, I know some people who've written for CPH and uh, all of them are annoyed by the review process because of how long it takes how thorough some of these people are. Um, I know some, some of them take a lot of pride in finding the smallest thing to, to write to CPH about, um, some of which may not be helpful, but it means that a lot of the work that comes out of there, you can have real confidence that like it's not going to throw something wildly false at you. Yes. It's not, it's probably not even going to throw something moderately false at you. Um, yeah. There's some so flipper on the edges, but other than that. Yeah, yeah. So I want to throw two things out. out there for all of our listeners. Um, first, 
there is the conspiracy theory part of me that says this can this controversy quote unquote was manufactured to sell more books like when i saw it <laughs> when i read it i was like i mean at very least cph sold two more copies of this book because of this controversy <laughs> because i don't know about you ben i would not have made this purchase if there hadn't been an issue around it i wouldn't have bought it i might have just because i like so many of the authors that contributed articles okay that's so we'll call it they got one and a half extra sales at very least because so think now that, that i've said that uh suspicious thing about cph like their stuff is good from a like if you are looking and you want to learn something more about theology getting cph material is if you're going to go through it by yourself i would encourage you to use cph material because you know it's in the right place theologically right like when people are talking to me at our church about buying curriculum or buying my first step is frequently cph because if it comes from somewhere else i have to look at it first and i have to check it first to make sure it's clear and maybe even have to change some things which i am happy to do but if you just want something that out of the box i can be like yes i'm sure that's fine out of the box is good theologically speaking you go to cph right uh -huh. <laughs> um so with that, let's step into the article. And I think, so, I let's, got, and I, I, I to, to remind people where we're headed here, um, this, these next couple episodes might be a little bit in the weeds, but we hope that we can make them practical for you. Because this, this catechism was written mostly with pastors in mind. Some more, um, really? educated or uh interested lay people yeah it was written mostly for for people who wanted to know a lot more about like deeper levels of theology huh. um i feel like the six articles i read were I, really approachable i mean a lot of them are because especially for those topics like these are relatively new issues within the church um and so i think we're we're still kind of building from the ground up a little bit um but those also are meant to speak to people who are in specific contexts and in specific places um and they may not be wholly applicable in every sense to all people there's the episodes display that makes sense <laughs> um yep we good? You ready to move? I think move we're in? good. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. Talking so, talking human sexuality. Yeah. Uh, I have to be, and I I texted Ben because we did all this prep yesterday, and, and we read through the articles, and I read through. So the issue is around the sixth commandment, which is don't commit adultery. Right. That's that's what we're dealing with. Um, and all of the forms that that takes. And I read these three articles and I genuinely could not, 
I couldn't even figure out which one was the quote unquote issue. Because I read through all three of them and I'm like, there's nothing controversial here. Like, there's nothing that should be mind boggling. And so I think I'm pretty sure I figured it out. I think the article that caused the, the stir was an article by a guy named Stephen N. Lee. I don't know who that is. Um, doesn't really matter. I'm going to weigh it based on the ideas that he puts out, not who he is. Uh, in, and the title of the article is Encouragement for Christians with Gender Dysphoria and Homosexual Attraction. And I could see where if you are a, uh, let's call them blogging inclined Lutherans, the bloggerly inclined, and you didn't read the book, you just saw the heading, I could see where you would be like, oh, that's a problem. We shouldn't be encouraging these things. Read the article because I, I, it's, I think it's actually very helpful. And there are four things I want to draw our attention to in the article. Um, the first is this. He says, how then can Christians help people who experience gender dysphoria, the sense that one is not the sex of one's body, or who are homosexually attracted to others? So when we're talking about encouragement, we're talking about how can we help people who deal with this stuff? And he goes on to say, too many Christians see them as only as challenged spiritually and as tempted to despise and doubt God. And certainly many people with gender dysphoria or homosexual attraction deny God's creating work. Yet some are brothers and sisters in Christ striving to lead godly lives. The temptation is to ignore these brothers and sisters in Christ who are enduring the daily confusion and misery of gender dysphoria or who are fighting and repenting of homosexual sin. Our response starts with genuine love for Christians with these experiences. And then this is a little bit later on the same page. It says today's culture seems focused, even obsessed with the search for sexual identity, demanding that each person answer, quote, am I gay, straight, bisexual, transgender, or something else, end quote. But when it comes to identity, what matters most is our baptismal identity, what God says we are, not what we think we are. It is better to look at him, not ourselves. And I read this and I'm like, like this is, this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing, right? We recognize that, that people struggle with this kind of stuff. And just because you don't doesn't mean that it's not a real struggle for them. And then he gives you, and like, if you read, there's a, a book that I think was assigned at the seminary at some point called The Gay Gospel, question mark. Um, and this is the primary thing. It, it says th the best way to handle stuff like this is to point people back. Your identity is not in your sexuality. Your identity is in your baptism. Your identity is in the fact that God says you are someone he created and loved. And I think people read this, and, and Ben, I'm sure you're going to pick up on this in a minute, but in, in our society, we have been so trained to always look for the question underneath the question. So we see certain keywords, we see certain buzzwords, we see different things, and we immediately jump to something deeper or something else. Um, and I think part of that is because we we're almost 
our society is almost like a gotcha society where you ask what looks like a, a relatively simple question and then you answer with a relatively simple answer and then someone and this is on social media this is in the news this is wherever someone's going to jump on you for that simple answer saying oh if this is your answer then you mean x y and z so we've gotten really good at saying oh here's the question well here's the x y and z they're trying to push to but there's no x y and z here it's we're called to love people no matter what sins they're struggling with and we're called to point them to the identity god gives them more than their own mm -hmm. yeah and i think one of the things that probably makes this such a considerable challenge is how well we're able to insulate ourselves from things we don't like um we're going to talk about this a little bit when we get into the self-defense episode too but as you kind of approach the issues around sexuality and, and gender and um I know people within the synod, people that I respect too, who like jokingly said, uh, part of the issues that we've like forgotten how to indoctrinate our kids, um, and like there's truth to that, um, and which is a good well, I, it's a bad thing that we've forgotten that. Yes. And on the flip side, people will push back and say, well, then they're not exposed to anything. They don't know how to operate in the real world. Like, that's a very real uh, concern within that that whole situation, too, because, like, so much of uh, what we've done as a church to, in, to indoctrinate over um, the last 50 to 100 years has been just shelter. Just shelter, 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 shelter. Um, and And not in a way that, like, promotes a healthy place to grow but just like cuts you off from any sort of uh connection to the real world to the world around you um which, which for any of you looking at like how do we deal you interact with the world and then you talk about it with a christian lens yeah you don't exactly. say don't look at this you say look at that now let's talk about it from a faithful perspective yeah it's um so frequently we we think of the church as a as a castle that we cower inside um rather than the many many other helpful examples of of an image of the church like an island that you you stand on but you can see the sea around you of of seething storms and waves and um, much of it crashing on your own shores um and you have to learn how to to deal with the world around you and i think a lot of the pushback on this particular issue is like if we acknowledge the existence of sins and struggles with sexual sins we're enabling them that's that's the the thought process that i think a lot of people are going through um rather than we live in a world where if we're doing our job to evangelize to proclaim the gospel to people those words are going to land on the ears of people who struggle with sexual sins. Heck, there's probably people in our congregation who struggle with sexual sins that have less to do with 
um, some of the more like hot button issues around sexual or like homosexuality and uh, gender ideology and a lot more to do with like are they being faithful to their spouse and those we were much more willing to to look on either with grace or uh, ignore which I'm pretty sure in the article which is something this article covers they're like where yes. when when you look at uh sex before marriage or people sleeping together before they're married uh which is that was a redundant sentence um or divorce or the, pornography uh, like it's almost like uh we turn the other way or we wink and it's like i think i think that might also be part of the issue yeah because this article says listen we have to deal with all of this the same way you have to care just as much about people living together before they're married as you do homosexual activity marriage whatever you want to whatever title you want to put on it i mean like there are there are programs that churches put on with like fun names like porn and pancakes well where they'll have honest conversations around it's actually not that bad a program you'd, you'd be surprised um why i'm not I, fully endorsing it here, might be but, but like you picked a name it's that a morning is unfortunate. that's fair um but we don't we don't do the same thing we don't have like trans ideology and tapas or something like <laughs> You See, are correct. It, we do not. It it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I would I would argue it sounds better than porn and pancakes. Thank you. Let's do it. Um, like I don't know what tapas are though. It's uh like the Spanish side dishes. It's like, or not side dishes. Rather than getting a meal with like a main course and a bunch of side courses, it's just all small like bite sized dishes that you enjoy throughout an evening so it's snacks um more like it's a meal full of something that's somewhere between an hors d'oeuvre and a main course so it's snacks yeah kind of um <laughs> but uh yeah all of that aside as we address these issues as we like dive into the cultural phenomena around them um we need to be willing to engage them equally as uh, part of our christian calling and as part of the reality of the sinful world we live in without completely sheltering ourselves from their existence um so like for me the first big I think cultural influence that's pushing us to or has or has been pushing people and pushing the church more generally away from this kind of article or away from this kind of thing has been fear. We're afraid of the dominant culture. And anything that sounds like the dominant culture, even if it's us addressing it, when it comes into our churches we cower from because we're so terrified of what's going on around us and 
that's not helpful. It's not worth it. Um, and and I think that's a lot of what's happening here. To quote Peter Griffin, things ain't so bad. <laughs> like I I think if I could say two things to everyone in in the church, not just my church, but like in the church period, uh, number one would be chill. Just chill. Like a lot of this stuff isn't worth getting all upset about. And number two would be stop, stop getting upset about things that you are not connected to at all. And this, I was on a video call with a bunch of other pastors yesterday, and we we briefly mentioned this nonsense with the catechism. And we all, and there was unilateral agreement with everyone on the call. It was, I think all pastors in the LCMS, we should just all get off social media. I think a lot of problems, we were like, a lot of problems would be solved if we just, if everyone got off of it. Um, And I I don't think that's, I I don't think that's incorrect I enjoyed my time on social media more when all I followed was sports writers. I made the mistake of following a couple of pastors I like, and now it's now it's just an absolute like dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, but like going so these people were upset that it was that this article was quote unquote too soft or whatever. But and these are these are I think my last things I want to pull from the article, but it's this is this is what it says. It says Biblical Christianity cannot endorse sexual reassignment surgery. Medicine is rightly used to heal, not to transcend the body. When medical science is invoked to change the sex of an individual, it has overstepped the boundary and now attempts to transcend the givenness of being made male or female. Like it, and, and then later it says all homosexual activity is sinful, just as all heterosexual activity outside of marriage is sin. Okay, like I, I don't, uh, it, it's, it's right there. It's, I wouldn't call that soft unless you say it's soft to say we know that there are sinful people and we seek to reach them with the gospel which is what like if you're not doing that you're like missing the whole point of what the church is supposed to be um i want to circle back to something else that you were talking about actually and then go down a completely different branch after that um i hope that's okay oh yeah okay good um so one thing that you said is and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember exactly what you said. Um, I probably don't either, so it's fine. This may not be for you. Um, and the thing that that makes me think about is if you have a, a small parish in you know, rural Nebraska, um, you might not be running into this on a frequent basis. Um, you know, there are parts of this of this country that vote 
you know, considerably one way or the other. Uh, there are parts of this country. I was recently in in the the LCMS Holy Land, otherwise known as Frankenmuth, where the town is ninety eight percent LCMS Lutheran. Um, like, there are places where the culture is incredibly dominant, and you may not run into these issues very much. Not to say that they won't, but you may not. And so to hear an article like this might sound overly uh, accepting or overly, um, I don't know exactly what the word I'm looking for here is, but. Um, well, the, the question for someone who doesn't interact with it is going to be, why? Why don't we just say it's bad and move on? And yeah. to that, if, if I can address I that, because there are people I mean, like me who actually deal with this. We can't just say it's bad and move on because I have people in my life, in my ministry, where, I, where my church is, who struggle with some of this stuff. And I can't just tell them it's bad, move on. It is my call yeah. as a pastor to love them, to say, I love you. I care about you because you are a baptized child of God. What you're doing is wrong, but that doesn't stop the fact that I, I, that's something I have to deal with and I have had to deal with since being out here. So even if your church never yeah. comes across it, this is your testimonial right now that there is a faithful Lutheran church that has to deal with this stuff. I grew up in the city of Minneapolis, um, in the city of Minneapolis, which is a, it's a beautiful place. Um, don't knock until you try it. Uh, <laughs> I know you'd freeze to death up there. But, I would. I would. Uh, don't knock until you try it. Um, but I, I think while I was growing up at some point, Minneapolis was like the second or third gayest city in America by statistical population numbers. Um, and if I were to roll around with, um, like homosexuality is a sin, repent and, and believe, like printed on a shirt, there's a decent chance I would have gotten beat up in Minneapolis. But you know what else exists in Minneapolis? Half a dozen LCMS congregations. They, they exist. They're doing good work. They're serving and loving their neighbors. They're encountering these issues on a daily basis. As they walk down the street and see, you know, pride flags and trans rights flags and, and all these things uh, plastered on homes or in, in their neighborhoods. This may not be for you. This might be for the pastors in Minneapolis. This might be for pastors like Josh and SoCal. Uh, this, I mean, I've run into a little bit here in, in Lake Orion, Michigan, which is a fairly conservative place, theologically and politically. Um, this just may not be for you. And remember that there are people and pastors and congregations in different contexts that may need this word that may need this teaching, that may need this help, that aren't you. So that's one. 
Now to diverge down a completely different path. Um, squirrel. Yes, squirrel. One of the reasons that we engage in the world and, and one of the reasons that we engage with the world is so that we make sure that our, our understanding and wisdom um, exists in the world. And especially on this issue, um, this morning I read an article uh, that I uh, found thanks to friend of the show, Hayden Lucas. Um, shout out to Hayden. Um, and uh, he posted an article about a former um, intake worker at the uh, transgender something at, at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Um, it was like their gender care department, basically. Um, and she left because she felt like culture was pushing things too far, too hard. She was starting to be exposed to kids that she felt were struggling with all sorts of other things. And the immediate answer was like they mentioned once that gender was an issue. And the immediate answer was, uh, well, reassign their, their gender. They, they must not be the gender that they were born at birth because they've expressed any doubt about it. And that told me two things. One, it's good that there are people willing to vocally put out there that, hey, we love you, but we don't think this is right. That's a lot more, uh, like, as a voice to engage with, that's a lot more friendly than uh, you heathens uh, stop it. Um, but two, I think the reality is we live in a broken enough world where we're going to start to run into a lot of people who regret some of the decisions they make around their gender and sexuality. And a lot of these things have real medical and lifelong impacts. And some of these people might wander into our churches looking for an answer in the midst of a lot of hopelessness. Things like this help us to be prepared. And again, you may not run into this. This may not be for you. But the reality is that culture is shifting we can't ignore it. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. We need to be prepared to embrace those who've been hurt by it. Especially those who've been in that culture, been of that culture, and now are ready to flee from it. Or may not even be ready to flee from it, but know that they've experienced trauma and hurt because of it. And are just looking for a place of refuge. <laughs> and if uh if ben's wise words aren't enough for you uh, jesus instructs his disciples to be in the world but not of the world like and uh shoot i forget what i was i think i think this is actually in the book of chronicle no 
Maybe it's in the small catechism. I, I don't, it's in one of our confessional documents. Um, but the idea is like, if you're going to avoid coming in contact with people who are sinful or coming in contact with sin or temptations, um, you have to leave the world. Like we're, we're not called to go cloister ourselves off and not talk to any, like, are people going to do things that they shouldn't all the freaking time? Uh-huh. That should be an encouragement for us to interact with them. And also like an opportunity for us to be honest and admit that like, we also do things all the time that we shouldn't. And we fail that like a core part of our confession is that we are uh, simul justus et peccator. We are simultaneously saints and sinners because we constantly fall short of God's will and we're constantly in his forgiveness. So for us to, to say someone's sin is too far, it's like, no, there's no limit to God's grace. So we, we step into these situations and, and we deal with people. Um, and this is this, this uh, past weekend. Before I... This past weekend, I preached on a text from Isaiah. Um, if you're in the election, then you might. Have... Um, but the text is around improper fasting that the people are doing on the Day of Atonement. And God's whole purpose with that, with their fasting was that all of the people would be in the same state, hungry, in need of his provision. And they screwed that whole thing up. And we, we kind of ignore that idea in, uh, in worship sometimes. We don't let that form us, that we all stand at confession and say, you know, I, I confess that I've sinned. We say it out loud so that our neighbors hear us. We all stand in the same need of God's grace. And if we're not ready and prepared to offer that to people in every situation, we're suddenly placing ourselves above others in that regard. They have things to work on? Yes. Josh and I won't deny that. But so do the rest of us. So let's be prepared to, to come with a little humility. To come with some patience. To come with the grace of God. And we'll work on sprinkling in the law when and where we can. And assault bay it. You know a steak at that place costs like five grand? Only if you get it gold plated. I think the regular Ridiculous. ones are like five hundred. Yeah. No, Only five hundred. It's it's uh Stupid. wildly and stupidly overly overly priced, yes. I I understand. In any case, uh I think it's I think it's a uh, time for takeaways. I'm going to go for it with my takeaway, and I'm just going to say, uh, if you're really upset about this publication, stop it. That's dumb. Don't. It's, it's, it was fine. It is fine. 
<laughs> a nice knock it off Josh there. Um, I'm going to go yes. with uh, don't buy steak from Salt Bay's restaurant. Uh, <laughs> hey, the man has to make a living, okay? Yeah, but he could do it in a less, like, obviously uh, like, rip-offy and scammy kind of way. Anyway, um, it's like like Applebee's on steroids. It has like the air of fine dining, but it's just not, not that at all. Anyway. For $500, you could buy an Applebee's. Honestly, at this point, maybe. (laughs) At this point, maybe. Um, My, I think my actual takeaway here is as you read and encounter things uh, that churches and, and publishing houses and um, seminaries and whoever whoever else may put out, um, recognize your place in the world and recognize that there are other audiences. And not every work may perfectly pertain to your situation or uh, your context. Um, and... If you find problems with something, take them directly to the author of that thing and ask questions before you bring your blog about it. Uh, your because, like, oftentimes they'll have a perfectly reasonable and well thought out explanation for why they worded things the way they did, why they wrote what they did. Uh, just ask those questions you might get a good answer and it's going to be a lot better answer than the angry one that they're going to write you when you yell at the world about it there we go uh and for any other questions on ben's takeaway see season one episode one (laughs) (laughs) yeah um if you know anyone who was upset by this controversy for whatever reason send them this podcast water on the fire uh i mean we're probably gonna put some gas on the fire but that's okay yeah uh and if you if you if at any point during this podcast you thought this would be good for someone to hear go ahead and and send them a link text them a link uh and they can do that also for yourself and for your loved ones subscribe we'd love we'd love for the whole family to subscribe it would it would validate our our time here and uh we're on all the major podcasting platforms that's spotify pandora iHeartRadio, apple Podcasts, google podcasts and i think tune in something i don't know uh subscribe and we have a Facebook page that if you want to reach out to us, if you have questions, comments, you want us to do a topic, you want us to invite a guest, you want to be a guest, any of those things, but you don't know us personally, you can reach out to the Facebook page. We will see it eventually. Um, if you know us personally, you can just shoot us a text. That will suffice. So with that, those are our shameless plugs for the day. Oh, and let's let's go ahead and throw one in. Check out CPH. They have a lot of good stuff. And it it keeps getting better.
the new guy that does curriculum over there does a really good job and stuff. So with that, brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.